Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Window Watch. We're going to be discussing all the Norwich City transfer news and uh, give some views on it as well. I can already see we've got loads of comments coming in. So, of course, any opinions, any questions, any comments about anything Norwich City transfer related, do get them in. Connor Southwell joined by David Freezer. David, I don't know about you, but I get the feeling this is going to be a very quiet one. There's not been much going on, is there? <laughs> no, still nothing definite, but there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of talk, isn't there? Hence, window watch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hopefully, we can provide some clarity for that this afternoon. And uh, Dave, I think we we better start really with uh, a certain Emmy Buendia. Of course, much of the kind of off season noise so far has been um, filled by speculation about his future. That hasn't stopped. Obviously, we had the reports last night from various places about bids from Arsenal and Aston Villa. Um, we obviously did a bit of digging ourselves and and. No, reported that uh, as we understand it no bid has been lodged as of yet although interest is obviously hotting up from from those two parties and I think Norwich have been aware of that for 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 a while so it's a difficult one because we have a lot of what I describe as kind of murky water I suppose between uh, a bid being lodged and kind of the stuff in between that because clubs speak all the time they speak club to club they speak agent to club in terms of where we are with with Emi Buendia until we have a bid on the table, which again, as I stress, we understand there isn't. This doesn't really move on from where we were a week or two ago. Not massively. Like you say, the, the progression is that the clubs are talking now. I mean, as you say, what what is a bid and what is an offer? What is negotiation? You know, is a bid literally it needs to have been faxed over or, or you know, a contract ready to be signed? It sort of comes down to semantics. But as we understand it, yeah, Arsenal and Villa have now made it clear they are trying to, uh, get things moving with Norwich and and clearly from Norwich's point of view if they're going to sell Emmy Buendia as we you know uh, that comes as no surprise to Norwich fans Stuart Webber was open about it that the, there was that risk that they could sell uh, one of the crown jewels shall we put it um, this summer uh, or ha- as we have been putting it for a long time now um, but yeah the, the report in the sun drops last night saying that um, Norwich are expecting Buendia to go now the offers in excess of 30 million have dropped from both of those teams so it's an interesting one because obviously the way we've talked about Max and, and Emmy in particular maybe a, a, those two are perhaps slightly different situations to Todd at this stage is that if it's one of the real big boys you know if it's Atletico Madrid or you know we saw Inter Milan linked with with Max Aarons and stuff this week didn't we if it's one of those Norwich fans aren't going to begrudge it Villa and Arsenal were Premier League mid-table teams they're not even in Europe are they so it's interesting Villa have got a lot of money they've probably got more money than Arsenal as things stand haven't they even though Arsenal got a billionaire owner but as things stand that it's not there's nothing agreed it's not like Emmy is going to Arsenal and and that's kind of the interesting thing from Norwich's point of view now because we know that they want a deal in the region of 40 million they might not get that all up front you know might be say 35 million plus add-ons or or whatever it proves to be but really they want an auction situation whether it's just between Arsenal and Villa or whether that then brings in some of the other interested parties for a guy who hopefully will be an Argentina international, but wasn't overnight, was he? I mean, what, what's, what's your sort of read on on, on the Villa situation? Because I've seen quite a, quite a few Norwich fans a bit annoyed that Villa are in the, in the running, but I, I think we shouldn't forget that the, when Villa dropped down to the championship initially, it was a big deal. They're a big club. They've won um, the European Cup. They... Uh, have got very, very rich owners who are very ambitious and they have just had a pretty good season. Yeah, I think the thing that sort of 
is in the back of my mind is there's a lot of history between the two parties, isn't there, with Paul Lambert leaving Norwich to join Villa. And yeah. obviously we had the, the Wes Houlihan saga as well. And, and and this debate about whether or not Villa is, is a big step compared to Norwich, I think has probably been made for probably the last decade or so, really. Um, it's certainly a sense, and, and I saw some quotes today from Dean Smith saying their owners are very keen to make them an established club in or sort of top club in the Premier League, top six club. That's That's their aim, I suppose probably to kick on in the way that maybe we've seen West Ham do this season. And clearly there's opportunities to do that with the way Arsenal, it's funny we mentioned them, um, the state that they're in at the moment, Tottenham as well are about to appoint Antonio Conte um, uh, reportedly. So that's a very interesting dynamic as well. So I think, and, and again, me and Pat spoke about this last week and obviously he's closer to the Midlands than we are, but I think people maybe it gets lost maybe in the wider football world, how big a club Aston Villa are and the resources they have. The stadium's very attractive. They play a, a good style of play under Dean Smith, who's pretty progressive by all accounts. So I think there's a lot of attractive areas there. It's just, I think it will come down, and, and I've seen the word ambition used a lot in, in terms of Norwich. It will come down to what Emmy wants to do as well. And if he does mm. feel, as some of the reports have stated, that now is the time to take that next step. And Villa have been in the Premier League a few years. They obviously uh, struggled for um, for survival two years ago. Last year were much better. They're looking to kick on again. If he is being sold that project, that could be quite appealing, um, given some of the players they're already probably namely Jack Grealish, who could go to the Euros and have an absolute stomper. So it, it does feel perhaps a bit more attractive than I think maybe Norwich fans realise. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of stuff needs to fall into place. It certainly feels at the moment like these two clubs are the front runners. And um, from certainly sort of reports I've read today from last night saying that, that they're both going to probably sort of match each other's bids from here on in. So it might come down to his decision if we get to that stage of who he wants to join and maybe which project he believes in more. Might come down to game time as well. Is he going to get as yeah. much game time at Arsenal compared to Villa? Um, and then, of course, with Arsenal, there's, there's I guess, the new element really is about Martin Erdegaard, isn't it? And Carlo Ancelotti's appointment at Real Madrid and certainly suggests that he sort of favours him perhaps a lot more than Zidane Sedan did. And that's why maybe Arsenal have, have stepped up their interest in Buendia. So a lot of a lot of elements to this. What have you kind of made of the reaction from the supporters overnight? Because for me, there's a lot of, and it is very emotive. We un, we understand that when, when sort of one of the better players gets linked with a move away. I've seen lots of people saying, well, how come Norwich are going to sell arguably their best player when maybe Watford won't sell Ismail Assar or Brentford won't sell Ivan Tony? What's been your kind of take on both the reaction and, and also maybe in, in, to, in sort of response to what I've said there? Yeah, in particular with Brentford and Watford, they've both got money behind them, haven't they? So they can afford to potentially hold on to those players. The, the thing, I have been a bit surprised at the amount of, sort of negativity around it. It always hurts to lose a good player. And Emi Buendia is an exceptional player who's had an exceptional season. Um, but we don't know what he would do in the Premier League next season for a club probably battling relegation. Him personally, Villa and Arsenal might be a good move for him because they could potentially offer him a starting role. You know, if Erdegaard does go back to Real Madrid, Arsenal obviously don't have Ozil anymore. They've got um, Emile Smith-Rowe coming through. He is probably the sort of player that Mikel Arteta is going to like. He's been groomed by Pep Guardiola, isn't he? So that sort of high pressing is going to fit in nicely. And if Emi can produce anything like the form that he has this season in the Championship and you know, arguably his creative numbers in Norwich's relegation season would then be taken advantage of more and his confidence is at sky high. So I think most of us think that 
for those just for those two for now as an example if he were to go to Arsenal or Villa we would have pretty high hopes that he would be a success there and that he would kick on and you never know he might be part of a uh, sort of rejuvenating experience at Arsenal because you'd have thought the only way is up for them isn't it um it's it is a huge club a wonderful stadium huge support should be a good manager but we'll see it seems to have wobbled a little bit um but Norwich has always been a selling club I saw Darren Huckabee tweet didn't he that I think he said um 99% 99% of the clubs in the world are selling clubs. The only ones who aren't really are the mega big boys, aren't they? You're, you're Manchester City, who are funded by an entire state. You know, they have got basically infinite pots of money. They don't have to sell for, unless they want to. Norwich are never, probably never going to be in that situation. So, yeah, I am a bit surprised at the amount of negativity because this isn't a surprise. We've We've known this is coming, but it's an emotional thing, I think. It just hurts to see a great player walk out of the door. And as we all sit here now, you know, if they were just totally theoretically to sell Emmy and Max for good money this summer, but bringing six good players to really strengthen the squad and that then allows them to survive in the Premier League and then build from there, then Stuart Webber's going to come out smelling of roses, isn't he? But whatever he does this summer, everybody knows the odds are stacked against Norwich in terms of survival. So, Nobody knows what the outcome will be. Nobody knows if they kept Wendia and Max, that that would mean they'd survive. Um, But we'll just have to see how things unfold, because as we've always said from the whole start of, well, throughout the last few, through year, throughout the last few years, is that they are stable financially at this point and that they don't have to sell. They will only sell if it's a deal that they feel is a a significant step up for the player and that they get the financial package that they think makes it worthwhile. And this is the model, isn't it? Because as as Stuart Webber has spoken about before, if they sign a player on the promise of, okay, we're going to develop, I've seen someone today describe it as the homes under the hammer model, which I quite like buying something fairly cheap and doing it up and then selling it for for a high price. I kind of like that analogy, but if that is (laughs) kind of, exactly. If that's what, what they are selling a player and then there is a bid from say Arsenal who, irrespective of where they are at this moment in time, that does elevate you onto a different level in terms of exposure, in terms of facilities as well, as, as you quite rightly mentioned. Then Norwich, again, if, if they say, actually, no, we're going to turn down the offer from that big club for you, then in many ways, their whole model falls apart because suddenly you've got Todd Campbell, you've got Max Aaron saying, mm-hmm. well, hang on, you said one thing and you've then not acted on it. It's the same reason Ben Godfrey went last summer. And if we're in a situation in football at the moment where Tottenham don't know if they can keep hold of Harry Kane, Everton haven't been able to keep hold of Carlo Ancelotti. Again, there's question marks about Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace. It's no given that a club keeps hold of a player. It's it's just inevitable, really. It's the circle of life, isn't it, in, to, to, to some extent in in terms of, of football. Um, I think that is, that's just about it in terms of Emmy Buendia, I think we've covered it, and, and and that is as it remains. We, we're not expecting just, I suppose, the, the final thing to add anything to happen until he returns to the UK from from international duty of Argentina. Whereas you mentioned, Davey wasn't in the squad for uh, their World Cup qualifier against Chile overnight, which um, which is quite interesting. So, uh, yeah, any more qu- um, comments or, or questions on Emmy Buendia? Get them in, and we'll try and answer them if we haven't done already. But that should cover it pretty nicely. No bid yet. Lots of interest. Um, doesn't mean there won't be a bid at some stage. I think you'd be pretty naive, I think, to to expect that there won't be. But um, certainly at this stage, no bid on the table as of yet. Should we turn to incomings, Dave? I, I guess the the name um, that has kind of caught the attention most of, of Norwich fans is Adam Armstrong, a player who was very good in the Championship last year, 
for Blackburn uh, has, has been linked with, I think, Southampton as as well recently. Uh, a report in the, in the Telegraph, when was it? Uh, earlier this week, wasn't it? Um, linking him to, to Norwich, which is an interesting link given what we know about what Norwich are looking for, but also the pricing element of it. Yeah, I think it was Wednesday it dropped, wasn't it? it I mean, Norwich being interested in Adam Armstrong is no shot to anyone, is it? it he um, immediately, um, you just look at the championship goal scorers list, Ivan Tony. Adam Armstrong, Tamer Puki. So he scored more goals than Puki, 28 this season. Um, we know that he has become a very established championship forward in probably a fairly average Blackburn team, but he got them up from League One. Now, initially, I think his name probably came up in one of our Q&As a couple of months ago. And at that stage, um, I dismissed it. But I didn't realise he only had a year left on his contract. Um, so that puts a total different complexion on it, doesn't it? Now, the report that emerged this week from the Telegraph um, from a pretty reliable source is that the deal might be worth around 10 million. Now, even if Norwich struggled to hit that sort of figure, if you can get Adam Armstrong for an initial 10 million, which presumably would come with add-ons and and a sell-on fee, etc., that would be great business because you're essentially looking at someone that could be Tamu Puki's successor there. He's 24. Um, you're probably you're never going to get him at that price, and you know unless he sees out the final year of his deal and is available for a for a free next summer. But it quickly moved on, didn't it? The local papers up in Lancashire said, no, no, hang on, Blackburn want more like 20 million. The Express had done a report a few days before saying that Southampton were trying to get for about 15 million. Uh, West Ham link, Newcastle, his former club linked as well, and they've got a 40% sell-on fee, which it seems quite strange. I've never heard of one quite that big or rarely heard of one that big, but that's why they sold into Blackburn for, for only 1.7 million. So it's a really interesting one, but him, as I say, Norwich being interested in Armstrong is going to come as no surprise. Armstrong actually being a viable option for Norwich does come as a bit of a surprise. And it sounds to me like, Maybe your likes of West Ham and Newcastle aren't quite convinced to part with a 15, 20 million. And then Norwich have just started to have a bit of a sniff around. And as far as we know, he is a player that they like. um, But that is no surprise. They know the championship very well. And if they can get him for the sort of money that makes that a viable deal, it makes a lot of sense. He is young. um, He's hopefully got more potential in the tank. He's got experience of playing wide as well, which is which fits a little bit into what we'd heard, wasn't it? Is that they wanted a, a sort of wide player who could play as, as a forward. Um, he's somebody who's still got plenty to prove. So if this is something that does become viable, and, and I still think it, it would probably only be after a big sale, after banking, whatever, 30 million plus for one of the crown jewels, um, then I think it would be a transfer that pretty much across the board all Norwich fans would very much approve of. Absolutely. I, I see this as an interesting one for lots of reasons. Um, we, we've heard, and, and you speak to anyone in terms of about the transfer market at the moment, and the word they'll use is pretty dead, pretty quiet, very slow. And um, it's um, it, it seems like that's going to drag into the Euros, particularly for at least the start of the Euros, I think, before we see anything really get going. But this, look at that. Wall look at that. is up. It's a, it's a great wall chart. I need to get mine to be honest. I might stick it back here just to give me something but then I've got to get in that wardrobe so I'm not sure how that will work I might have to get a small one but um yeah I, I see this this Armstrong deal very very interesting I think that as you said there's probably a few moving parts Norwich as we know like opportunities in the market players that maybe haven't been sniffed out elsewhere you knew this is the perfect example isn't it of them just playing a waiting game and timing their run to perfection if we get towards maybe the back end of the window and Blackburn haven't had 
the offer that they would like or um, a, a team hasn't sort of coughed up the money that they want, maybe that price does begin to drop. Maybe Armstrong does begin to get um, itchy feet a little bit and maybe that's where Norwich can pounce and uh, a deal does become a bit more viable. Um, of course, then what does that mean for, for Jordan Hugel, a player who's obviously at the moment second or third choice, depending on how you rank the respective strikers. Clearly, Adam Eder is someone young, someone they, they feel can surprise the Premier League. In terms of Jordan Hugo, how do you think a deal for Adam Armstrong potentially would um, affect him and maybe his future at the club? Yeah, the way that Blackburn play wouldn't be, if it ever came to the point where Norwich had a good shot of getting Armstrong, I wouldn't be too surprised if Hugo was involved in some kind of a swap deal, um, even if it was just to be for a year on loan or something like that. Maybe Tom Tribal could be in that sort of contention as well, but I, it didn't seem to go brilliantly for him there. He, he seemed to do OK, but that, their season kind of fell apart in, in the second half. But yeah, I it's difficult because Hugo was a big part of the dressing room and he played his part in last season. OK, he, he's very much the plan B option, isn't he? He isn't the same um, player as Pukki uh, and Armstrong is a much closer type of player to Pukki. So he's kind of like a direct replacement. And and also what we probably can't forget, this we could get movement on this later, couldn't we? Finland, well, Finland play Estonia at five and the... Finland manager has said that Pukki might be back for that and his rehab's going really well and that's their final friendly before the Euros, isn't it? So he might come back. But that whole ankle situation and Pukki being at the Euros and stuff means that his pre-season may be a, you know, a little bit shorter than, than others. Um, he may not come into the season in, in, in full flow. So having a, another real good option is probably going to be um, a, a good thing because we saw... You know, Adam Eder's had a real up and down season. He's one that they still have a lot of hopes for. And he's only 20. And, and I think we've seen that Eder could be a really good player, but he's not there yet, is he? So the one thing I would be tempted, it, it probably will come down to finances a little bit. And you've got to judge on the attitude of the players and stuff. But unless Hugo really wanted to go, I would be tempted to maybe keep them all in the building until January. Because they've got a big job on their hands to stay in the Premier League and then reassess it in January. If Hugel or Ida haven't been involved at all, because as we all saw this uh, season, one injury, you know, Pookie gets that, that ankle injury comes back at the start of the season. You're going to need them both, aren't you? But if you get to January and things are going all right and one of them has barely played, then maybe look at it. But I don't know. Until, until somebody actually comes in, it, it's difficult to say. And I don't, I don't think Jordan Hugel will necessarily just roll over and say okay no worries yeah I'm, I'm pleased I helped you get promoted but I'm now off to go and play hoofball with Barnsley or something in a championship I think he'll say well no I want the Premier League opportunity I'm sticking around I'm going to fight for my place in this team um, because that's the sort of character that he comes across as and at his age this is his probably his final Premier League opportunity and he will know that he's one injury and one goal away from finally getting a run in the best league in the world. So it's really interesting to see how how that forward department develops. Yeah, there's lots of dynamics, isn't there, around kind of the number 10 roles and, and the striker and uh, obviously the creative players either, either side as well. It's going to be really fascinating to see what kind of squad Norwich do head mm. into the Premier League with. Um, back to the Buendia front, we've had an interesting question from uh, Nick on YouTube who says, I think we've uh, all been resigned to the possibility of losing Buendia, but what kind of a message does it send out to players slash fans when you sell your best player ahead of the new season? What's the ambition? What would you kind of say to to those concerns, Dave? Because I think it's one that's been mentioned a lot kind of since these reports emerged overnight. 
I think that's where you've got to look at Norwich as a different case to most clubs, as a self-funded club who, you know, one year of Premier League survival would almost change the course of the future for them because they would then build that bit of financial strength, like we've seen with Burnley, as as Stuart Webber mentioned when we were down at Colney, that they've, you know, very different style of play, but the way that Burnley slowly built and established themselves in the Premier League, even maybe Palace in recent years, although they've got a decent amount of money, but but Burnley didn't have a very, very wealthy benefactor. They had millionaire owners, but not billionaire owners. And they, I think Ben Gibson was their record sale, at, at record buy at 15 million, wasn't he? So that shows that Robbie Brady, I think, was 13 million from Norwich, wasn't it? They they built on those sort of mid-range signings. And that realistically is where Norwich are going to have to be. So, yes, selling your best player is not a situation you want, you want to be in. But I think we've, we've all got to remember that the step up is vast it's, it's huge the step up in quality across the pitch is is huge Tim Krull is the outstanding goalkeeper in the championship he's you know a good Premier League goalkeeper but he's not the best Premier League goalkeeper is he Grant Hanley had an absolutely outstanding season looked brilliant in the championship we know when he's going to come up against those players who are that much quicker that much more skillful your Mo Salahs Aubameyangs etc he's not going to look quite as good probably over the course of the season it is going to be a totally different ball game. They are probably going to be in a some form of relegation battle. So is um, a young player who's better going forward like Max Ahrens your best choice as a right back in that situation? Um, I think ideally you would keep Emmy. But from, from what Stuart told us when we were down at Colney, whatever it was a month or so ago now, it, it just sounds like they feel that if they can cash in on those guys who are at that stage of their career where they probably are ready for the next step and have outgrown the club, a bit like Delia said of, of Max earlier in the year, like we saw with Madison previously, that if you can bank some real good money and replace two outstanding players with five or six good players to really fill out the squad with some proper quality and possibly some more physical strength as well, then that might just help where they need to grind out those draws, hold on to those wins, because we all remember that stage of the season in the Premier League when Hanley and Zimmerman were back and they were playing well and they were getting ahead in games and then they kept letting the points fade away. And that's where they basically got relegated, wasn't it? That's where the chance went when they had uh, a squad that was fit again. And we all knew that went after the restart that chances were pretty slim and then that turned into a complete disaster. But let's just forget that happened, shall we? Um, so, as I said a bit earlier, Stuart Webber, you know, whatever he does, he could end up looking silly, couldn't he? If he kept Emmy and Max and things went wrong and they go back down, everyone will say, oh, you should have sold them and, and got five or six players in and vice versa. So I think we've just got to trust in Stuart, really. He's got a good track record. He's spoken openly about how he is not happy at all with how the recruitment went after promotion last time and that he felt that they got things wrong. But it felt like him and Daniel really learned a lot from that. And we'll just have to see what the results of that are this summer. There's another argument, isn't there, which I haven't seen made much, to be honest, that maybe where Norwich City are at the moment and where specifically if we want to talk about Emi Buendia and, and Max Aarons, where they are as well. Because after a title winning season in the Championship, Buendia has won so many awards, he's, he's going to need a bigger mantelpiece, to, to be frank. it's it, There is an argument to say maybe where he is now, Norwich can maximise his value as opposed to let's say they just drop out of the championship. Maybe he's, he's a bit easier to pick off, maybe in the situation they were 12 months ago. Um, and, and that could go into their thinking. These were two players that were involved in a team that got 21 points in the Premier League last time around as well. So 
those are, are maybe two elements just on the counter side of the argument. There's obviously the the, the 30 million plus COVID hole that, that we know of as well. They, they would have been in a significantly stronger position if they were heading into the Premier League and the pandemic didn't happen. But there we go. That's something that, that nobody could have foreseen. Um, and, and of course, a, another element which um, sort of needs, leads me nicely onto this comment from Adrian on Facebook. Um, he said, how much will Getafe, how much will the Getafe sell on um, clause affect the bids and therefore um, price to be paid for Emi Buendia. This is another element as well, isn't it, Dave, which is um, a clause on the profit that Norwich City get. And of course, they've already, Getafe have already received more money because of Norwich City's last promotion to the Premier League. So probably more of a £5 million player than a £1.5 million mm. player now. But any fee that Norwich City do get for Emi Buendia, some of that money will go to Getafe and that will naturally drive the price up as well. Yeah, the, the Sun report last night um, said 20% sell-on and that's something that we've heard a few times now, isn't it? And as you say, of profit. So, yeah, and, and again, I think you're right. We You look at him now as it was, in the end, a deal that was about £5 million, although it was about £1.5 up front. There were promotion bonuses and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, last summer after Norwich came down, what were we talking, you know, if Emmy was to go, it would have been £30 million tops, wouldn't it? So he's now at the most he's ever going to be worth and next summer he'll have two years left on his contract and his value will start to come in and it, if it was on the back of a relegation as you say so yeah that there is definitely that element but we have to remember that he's been with Norwich for three years this is a guy who was with Real Madrid as a kid who is in the Argentina squad Every, it, it, I always find it a, a very difficult balance and like Todd's a good example all, all young players who have got a big reputation are, are sort of a good example because at that age, you're expected to show ambition. Of course, Todd Campbell wants to go and play for Manchester City and win Premier Leagues and win England Caps. Like that, That's just common sense, isn't it? And it's the same for every player. Emmy wants to go and win a Champions League with Atletico Madrid and, and win the Copa America of Argentina. If, he's got, if there's even a glimmer of hope that he can make that happen at 24 years old, he's going to chase it, isn't he? We've got to be, we've got, you've got to keep some perspective on where Norwich City are in the footballing world. If... Stuart Webber and Daniel Farr continue to work their magic uh, in hopefully at least this season and then maybe a bit beyond or whoever comes through next manages to take them on and as a self-funded club they can become established at Premier League level then the ambitions and the horizons can start to to raise that a little bit more but again as, as Stuart talked about everybody always gets so upset when a player leaves and it is part of the model and their job is to find the next hero, isn't it? They replaced Wes with Madison. Um, they, um, when uh, the, there's loads of examples through the years, if you, you can even, I was going to go back to the 90s, but I suppose it's not too relevant. You know, when Coco and Fox and Sutton, it, it took them a while to find replacements for players like that, of course, because the club went into a bit of, bit of crisis. But that's kind of their challenge, isn't it? To, to always find the next player who can be your star. Um, so it's kind of whether you trust in Daniel or Stewart to do that, I think, at, at this stage. But it's not going to be easy. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I remember a, a similar debate when James Madison left. And of course, Josh Murphy left that summer as well, didn't he? There was, uh, I don't know if Nelson Oliveira left or had been kind of put aside at that point, but yeah, there was a lot of goals that, that left that team, wasn't there? I think um, the majority of the goals left that team. Suddenly, Emi Buendia arrives, Timu Puki arrives, and Norwich win the championship. So Norwich have probably shown over the course of Stuart Webber and, and Daniel Farker's time at the club, that maybe they do deserve, at this stage, the benefit of the doubt to try and get it right. Of course, nothing is confirmed yet. I mean, Buendia could still be a Norwich player at the start of the, the Premier League campaign, although you, you, you'd probably 
say those those odds are fairly long at the moment. Right, that's that's Emi Buendia covered. I think I don't. I, I think that's that's it now in in terms of him. So let, let's turn to to Christoph um, Ayer. He's he's a name that has been doing the rounds. I think since April he was he was first linked with Norwich. We're now here in in June. Celtic centre back, um, Norwegian international, uh, and there's been sort of some reports last night which perhaps didn't really move the story on in terms of this kind of preparing a bid stage, which again falls into that kind of void that I spoke about earlier between interest and something sort of actually happening. You, you get a lot of kind of different phrases in between that, which are frankly um, hot air or, or whatever you want to describe them as. But he is a player that, that is on Norwich City's list. We we know that. Um, and he's come out this morning with with some quotes that seem to indicate that he's he's open to leaving Celtic this summer. Yeah, it made it pretty clear, isn't he, that you know he's got 12 months left on his deal and rather than running that down and going for a free next summer, he is going to work with them to you know make sure that they get a fee. And Celtic need a bit of a refresh anyway, don't they? They just had a bit of a nightmare uh, end to their dominance in Scotland with Rangers um, doing so well this year. So it's probably not too much of a surprise. It, he was the first player linked after promotion, I'm pretty sure, wasn't he? I think it might have even been the next day or two days after literally after the Bournemouth game, Christoph Iyer w- w- was linked. So he is, yeah, Norway international is away with all your Nealand at the moment for, they've got, they've had a couple of friendlies, haven't they? Um, Nealand was, was just an unused sub for, for their game the other night. And uh, having a look at him, he's he looks like quite an unusual sort of player, really. He's very tall, but uh, good technically. And uh, I saw in your report that you sort of mentioned how he, uh, likes to bring the ball out of defence a bit like Ben Gibson. Um, I, I assume that Daniel wouldn't play with a Gibson and an Ayer sort of play who are both going to try and do that. But I don't know, because obviously Handley then ends up doing a lot of the defensive work in that partnership, doesn't he? Um, but he's an interesting one and he's one that Norwich have got on on their list. They've got a lot of lists, I'm sure. There's a lot of players because that's, that's the thing with Norwich. That's probably why we're seeing so many players linked already. I, I, I make it... I think it's 26 now since promotion that have been linked. And that's because Norwich are having to spread their net far and wide, aren't they? They're having to look at a lot of different options that a bit like the Armstrong one, he's on their list. They like him. If that deal becomes viable for them, then they'll go for it. They'll pull the trigger. But as we stand today, that's probably unlikely without a sale. Aya is probably a similar one to that. That, that. The lad that we saw mentioned yesterday from AC Milan, let me remind me of his name, Raddy Krunic. He's someone who's on the fringes at AC Milan. He's a Bosnia international. He's someone that they would be able to get a work permit for, that the, the finances might work for. Um, whether um, you know it's his agent that's come out and said Norwich are interested in him, it's again a bit like we were saying with bids where's the interest and where where is it just scouting Norwich will have been casting that net far and wide they've got a scout and have those long lists of players because they're not in a position where they can just boss people around and say this is the money this is who we want that's what we're doing they need to look for opportunities they need to be creative as Daniel and Stuart Weber have both spoken about they need to react when those situations emerge so you know that nothing may come of Krunic I'm just using him as an example AC Milan have just qualified for the Champions League for the first time in since 2014. If they now decide that they need to bring in a, a couple of more midfielders, they need to upgrade their midfield because they're now batting at a different level and that pushes him further to the fringes, then that could be the sort of player that maybe Weber can go and get on a season-long loan with a view to a permanent, something like that. Again, I, I'm just saying as an example. So that they will have lists in all the different countries of possible opportunities and that's probably showing why we've seen so many players linked already. 
From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Yeah, you make a key point there about this word interest and it it can really be quite far reaching, can it? it? It can be a member of Norwich's recruitment team reaching out to an agent and saying, look, if let's let's say Norwich are, are going to make a bid, what would that look like? What would your player be asking for? Would he be interested? And that's something that, that you could maybe define as interest. Equally, you could define a um, a, a bid to be, to be interested. So it, it's such a a really open space for a lot of interpretation, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and that's like you say, that's, that's why we see a lot of a lot of bids in terms of some of it will be Jack and Nori, won't it? Some yeah. of it will be complete Jack and Nori, and 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 will be agents using Norwich. But you know, an AC Milan player's agent isn't going to use Norwich to build his profile, is he? That's that just doesn't make sense. He's a Bosnia international. He he also said that there were English and German clubs in, in, interested. But as you say, if a if a Norwich scout is at that game and just asks that preliminary little question, but then it ends up getting blown out of proportion and. And and then all of a sudden it appears in in uh, an interview in Italy that Norwich are, are leading the race for him. So, you know, the transfer market's um, a bit mad at times, and that's why we sort of with like these videos, it, you've got to take everything with a bit of a pinch of salt until anything becomes that bit more concrete. I think. Yeah, our colleague uh, uses a circus analogy. I think that's, that's <laughs> yeah. probably the best way to sum up the uh, transfer markets in general, isn't it? Just in terms of of Io and going back to him, it it, it looks like from from kind of everything that we've seen so far, that that shortlist contains three names predominantly, which is obviously Aya at Celtic. We've got Adarabio at, at Fulham. I've been working on that since last week. And uh, Sebastian Bornout as well at Cologne. Uh, and Harry has, has asked a question on YouTube, um, asking if he's now not an option, seeing as Cologne have uh, now stayed in the Bundesliga. They, of course, um, they were 1-0 down to Holston Kiel in a relegation playoff and then won the away leg 5-1. So, pretty emphatically um, in there. I've, I've since seen him linked with Wolfsburg as well, which um, I, I believe they're uh, in Europe, although I'd have to double check. So that that is is a fairly attractive option, you'd you'd have to say. And maybe just because of what Norwich City um, are, and, and, and you mentioned their place there as well, and maybe now Cologne being in the Bundesliga, that might just drive that price up. There was reportedly a clause that if they would have gone down into the Bundesliga too, that maybe that deal would have been a bit more accessible for Norwich, should we say, from a financial perspective. So not to completely write him off, but just to say maybe now that there are there are different options in, in terms of Sebastian Bornau and his situation. Yeah, that's what, what I was going to say in Bornau in terms of Wolfsburg. I mean, if they come in, then Norwich probably aren't going to be able to compete with that, are they? Adara Bayoyo is a player that I remember from 20... 20- 18 would that have been no 2016 even when I went up to Manchester City for the FA Youth Cup quarterfinal when Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, Aston Oxborough, um, Glenn Middleton were, were in that team if I'm remembering that correctly and um, Campwell missed it because of injury they lost 2-0 and he was pl- playing for Man City that day and I always remember because he was absolutely huge compared to all the rest of the players on the pitch. He was about six foot four already at that age. And he just absolutely dominated um, the Norwich attackers during that game. Jamal Lewis was the man of the match, if I remember that correctly. And um, yeah, he, you know, he had a spell with West Brom. Obviously he's just gone down with Fulham. So if he's surplus to requirements at Fulham, then he could be someone that's at a good, um, good stage of his career. But for what he's achieved, he's, you would have thought that Fulham are going to be looking for reasonably good money for him. You're going to be talking 10 to 15 million, I'd have thought, really, because he's still a, a young player with a lot of potential who wasn't far away from getting chances at Manchester City when he was a bit younger. So that's that's a possibility. Um, personally, I, 
I think if you're going for someone like that, I, I would probably have a look at someone like Mark Gurhey at Chelsea. Obviously, we've been wondering whether Farker can tap up his connection with Thomas Tuchel to uh, get somebody in from Chelsea. And, you know, um, Gurhey has just had a full season with Swansea. OK, they lost in the in the playoff final, but he's a left-sided player as well. He's somebody who hasn't played in the Premier League yet who could come into the Norwich squad and compete for a place, but wouldn't be able to command a starting role. Um, and if Norwich were going to pay 10 to 15 million for someone like Adder Bayo, then um, he's probably going to be expecting to to start, isn't he? So, yeah, I, that's that's probably where I'd go if um, if I was given given a choice. And then if it works out with Gerhi, then then great. But he looks like someone who's probably ready for the Premier League. Yeah, he, he definitely does. Really impressive at, at Swansea this year. Of course, have have released Andre Ayew as well. You can see we've had a lot of comments about that. I'll, I'll just use one word, and that's wages, really. And that's the same probably as as we speak to, as we um, answer Carl's uh, comment on Facebook here. The same for for Josh King, who who is a name that Norwich have have been linked with. Um, probably, uh, certainly, the indication is that it looks like Norwich may have moved on from that one, which is perhaps unsurprising given his his pedigree and the amount of money that reportedly he was on um, and he's also followed up with any truth in uh, a bid for Aya which at this stage we don't believe and uh, as we've said countless times uh, no bid on the table for Emi Buendia as we understand it let's see what else we've got in terms of comments and questions uh, this is this is an interesting one from uh, Finley on Twitter can we see Dan Barden going out on loan we've had a, a link from the Daily Record this morning linking him with a move to Livingston Scottish Premiership we know Norwich want to get him out on loan. There was um, carried some quotes from Daniel Farker from last month saying that they want free experienced goalkeepers. Obviously, they've, they've got the two guaranteed, which is going to be Tim Krul and, and Michael McGovern, who, who signed a two-year contract um, fairly recently as well. It's just sorting about that number two, which maybe we'll come on to a, a, in a moment. But in terms of Dan Barden, I suppose I'd lump Archie Mayer in with this as well. It looks like another season out on loan for their respective developments. Yeah, they'll be looking to get Archie Mayer up a level. They'll look to get him into League Two or League One, won't they? But Scottish Premiership would seem to make sense for Dan Barden. He's still a young guy. He, I think he could have a good future ahead of him on what we've what we've seen of him. But he obviously needs to go and play regularly now, doesn't he? Um, I think he could play for the Wales under twenty ones today, couldn't he? Yeah, against Moldova in a friendly this evening. So that would be his first cap at that level. But yeah, I, I like the look of Dan. He's, he's huge as well. I always find it quite funny when you see him warming up with Tim Krull. Is that he towers over Krull? So um, apparently, didn't, we, didn't someone tell us that his dad is six foot ten? So he might he, he might still have some, It might be Ewan mentioned that. That um, yeah, he's got um, uh, potentially more inches to grow yet as well. So uh, that would be interesting. I suppose there's probably a, a point where you you can get too tall as a goalkeeper, but we shall see. But um, Scottish Premiership, that's what Remy Matthews did, wasn't it, at a similar age? Went and played for Hamilton and got a full season loan uh, season there. And that sort of kicked him into gear, didn't it, really? And then pushed him to the fringes of the Norwich team before, obviously, he, he ended up being moved on and, and it didn't work out for him. So, yeah, whether it ends up being Neyland as the number two, we, we'll have to see. And um, that will probably depend on the options that are on the table for him because we all know he's of, of a good calibre. He's still in the Norway squad despite, you know, not having played for what, the best part of a year now uh, and still coming back from back surgery and things like that. So I think he's one that Norwich would potentially have as their number two if he's happy and he's on board and and is aware that, that Krull is number one. But that might be the problem, mightn't it, that he thinks, well, I'm not going to get ahead of Tim Krull because they love him at Norwich and maybe I'm better to go elsewhere. Um, the interesting element of that is is the Angus Gunn um, interest, isn't it? Which um, 
which he reported a few weeks ago that he was uh, on on Norwich's list as as a potential option. The Athletic said this week five million, didn't they? A, a dealer in the region of five million, which surprises me a little bit, considering Southampton paid fifteen million for him, and he seems to have kind of had that um, the nine nil loss to Leicester. That seems to have been hung around Angus's neck, really, doesn't it? And and they've just got him out of the out of the picture when. You know, really, when you're losing 9-0, you can't blame that all on the goalkeeper. And I remember watching the goals and it's not like Angus was dropping horrendous ricks here and there for three or four of the goals or anything. It, Southampton just gave up. Their outfield players gave up that night. But um, I guess they just decided to to make changes. They brought Fraser Forster back from, from Celtic. So from my point of view, if, uh, again, to move back into the, the theoretical realms, Norwich were to sell a, cu- a couple of the crown jewels and have money to spend, I'd spend five million on Angus Gunn because similar to Adam Armstrong, you've then got a successor in the squad who knows the deal. He knows that Tim Krull is the number one, knows he's got to fight for it. But as we all know, one injury and you need a good number two. Ralph Fairman was a good number two option who, if had he had been needed more during uh, two seasons ago, looks like he could have been a, a good option and was a, a sensible loan signing. Um, so Angus Gunn, I think most Norwich fans would feel he is capable of stepping into the Premier League if needed. And then to take it on a bit more theoretically, if Norwich stay up next summer, Tim Krull, if he plays at the Euros, particularly this summer, is probably going to have interested parties, maybe even one of the big boys who are looking for a good number two who can compete with their sort of high profile number one. Um, If they go down, I don't think we'll be seeing Tim Krull in the Championship again. He, He showed that loyalty with Norwich. He'll be at that stage of his career where he needs to go and get that last big contract or that last big opportunity to go and play in European football, etc. So if in an ideal world you could get an Angus Gunn for about five million um, as the long term successor to Tim Krull, I think that would be a great deal. Yeah, so a lot of elements to this to this Angus Gunn stuff for sure, which is firstly what you mentioned there, which is the Southampton stuff. They seem to have accepted that I think irrespective of what happens now, there's they're probably going to make a loss on what the reported 15 million that was it 15? I, I might be slightly inflating yeah, that um, figure that, that they spent on him from, from Manchester City. Of course, he was on loan at Stoke last year. That was sort of packaged as an 18-month loan with kind of an option to review in the summer. Um, from what I've heard from the Southampton end, Stoke were particularly keen to try and extend that, but it was actually Southampton who maybe are looking to, to cash in. Obviously, we know that that, that money is, is is tight in football, particularly at the moment with a lot of clubs uh, sort of suffering with the effects of, of COVID. And equally thrown in there, you've got kind of the new Brexit rules, which makes these homegrown players more appealing. So I think you, you're you likely to get a few clubs, maybe in for Angus Gunn. Uh, Wolves are, are a club that's that's been mentioned, for example, who maybe are, are going to take an interest who ordinarily wouldn't because of um, how how much or how in desperate need they are of these of these homegrown players. Um, certainly the indication that, that we've been given is that Angus would be fairly happy as you'd expect to, to, to come back to Norwich. I think he's he's kind of echoed that throughout. I know you had a chat with him, didn't you, Dave, when, when he was at Stoke and he, he kind of made that point as well one day that, that he would... Yeah, Kingston, kind of, didn't I? Exactly, you did, yeah. He's, he's had a young child as well, hasn't he? So you'd imagine he'll, he'll want to settle down somewhere permanently. Also understand he's fairly content at this moment in time of being a number two with as long as there's a plan for him to become a number one at some stage. And as you mentioned, Krul is now 33, isn't he? So, so there is going to be a natural point where maybe either, as you mentioned, Krul then kicks on and goes elsewhere or there's maybe a natural overlap. So uh, again, I think that's a really interesting one. Certainly wouldn't discount it at this stage, but uh, yeah, Leeds and Brentford, I think have also been mentioned as, as interesting Angus. I think there's a, a lot of clubs that will maybe be looking at that one, but you would say Norwich maybe have the emotional edge, don't they? Which you never know, mate. 
may uh, become particularly handy. Um, in terms of a few other bits knocking about, you've mentioned the AC Milan midfielders. Is there anything more in, in terms of that, that that you kind of want to want to mention, Dave? Obviously, a, an interesting one because of his profile of club, as you mentioned, there would qualify for a work permit. I guess unique because of the agent quotes. That's one that hasn't been out there. But as we've kind of spoken about, how do you define interest? It's such a, uh, yeah. you can interpret it however you want. Yeah, I think he sounds like someone on paper that could be a good option for Norwich. Whether he'd be interested in coming here in the situation that they're in as a promoted club, who knows? We have to see how things unfold at Milan. But we've seen quite a few names added to the list this week, haven't we? The one that we we didn't do anything on is uh, Zeki Selic at Lille. Um, the Evening Standard mentioned that Norwich had uh, watched him at some point previously, but he's just won the French Ligue 1 title with Lille. So um, that, that the... Uh, gist of that story was that I think it was Man United and Tottenham, um, the, the big Premier League clubs were looking at him now. So we didn't worry about that as a rumour because it's just not realistic, is it? He he was probably someone that they scouted at some point, but they're not going to be able to get him anymore. So we've, we've left that one alone. Uh, Flynn Clark, we can probably come back to that one in a minute, can't we? Because that's yep. one that sounds like it um, has got legs. Um, but just to go back to Sunday, I had quite a busy day on Sunday. Um, there was well, there was a few names bubbling around over the weekend. Ryan Christie got mentioned again, the Celtic midfielder, but that was kind of repeating previous stuff that has, has been reported, um, saying that Norwich are interested. Uh, he, he's a Scotland international, isn't he? Daryl DK at Barnsley. Um, that's no great surprise, but Barnsley have said that they're not taking up that permanent option, but um, he seems like one that would probably be too expensive for Norwich. Apparently, it's about 18 million, isn't it? And He's he's more of a Hugill than a Pookie, isn't he? He's, he's direct, big, strong player. So um, yeah, don't, I don't see anything in that one. And that was from Team Talk as well, who I, I don't tend to give too much um, credence to. Uh, and similar one, a name from Roma, Ebrima Darbo, young midfielder on the fringes. Basically, ninety um, mincom They were saying that with Mourinho coming in, that. Um, he's probably going to be pushed out to the fringes because we all know that Mourinho doesn't really like to give young players a chance unless he has to, does he, until he's forced into it. Um, so, again, not giving that one too much. And, and another one which seemed to sort of be an old name, which had been repeated, which is the Chronicle up in the northeast, Josh Hawks at Sunderland, who's a midfielder who's absolutely tearing it up for Sunderland's under-23s but can't get anywhere near their first team. But he's 22. They bought him from Hartlepool last summer. He sounds like someone who could have been... Um, potentially added to Norwich's under-23 squad at some point, but not now, you wouldn't have thought. If he's not getting in the team at Sunderland at 22, then coming to Norwich after they've been promoted to the Premier League um, seems pretty unlikely. But yeah, Clark was an interesting one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Just on um, on Hawks, I, I think our colleagues um, have, have been linking, who cover it, which Town have been linking in with with uh, with them, although it looks yeah. like Lee Johnson is, is going to give him a chance in the first team, doesn't it? So I think we can probably strike a line through that one. Um, yeah, Flynn Clark is an interesting one. It's, I think it's worth pointing out at this point that maybe there's two arms to Norwich City's recruitment, first team and academy, and sometimes they're quite separate. But by all accounts, it looks like Flynn Clark is, is going to be a Norwich player this summer, doesn't it? Although probably not going to be announced imminently as sort of um, suggested elsewhere I think that is one that maybe they'll have to wait on in, in a little while uh, for a little while but certainly looks like come the start of the season he'll be an Norwich player but equally probably looks like um, he, he's going to be one for the development squads one who's going to link up with with David Wright's under 23 squad but someone already who has league one football on his CV yeah, you know, could it well be the next Madison in, in a couple of years that we're talking about. Who knows? Um, obviously, that's a very high standard to hit. But 
you think, what was it, January 2016, Madison kind of went under the radar a little bit. Norwich brought him in for two and a half million and loaned him back out to Coventry. And um, Norwich fans had no idea what was to come from him or Ben Godfrey in that window. And that should always be remembered, actually. That was still Alex Neal and David McNally, wasn't it, that brought those two in? So as much as the current regime have, of course, developed them and taken them on, that was a fine bit of scouting from McNally and Neal during January 2016 to get Godfrey and, and Madison for the money that they did. Uh, and I guess Ricky Martin would have been technical director at that point as well. So he may well have been involved in, in this sort of process. But uh, anyway, I, I digress. Um, so with Clark, he's one that you would have thought it, they're going to look, if they can get him in, that they would look to get him out on loan, wouldn't they? Whether that might be the similar sort of route that Dan Edshead has gone with this year and he's been playing in Holland in the second tier with Telstar, um, just because of the technical aspect. They seem to like that. That develops that side of the game for midfielders or whether he's one that they can get a, a decent League One move and get him playing. But um, yeah, he's he's one who is potential, isn't it? It's not one for uh, for the first team right now. Yeah, so uh, that that's one that, that will happen. Uh, it's a matter of when, really, but not not anything to be announced um, imminently. This is uh, this is quite. I've sort of sprung this up on you, Dave. So I might um, I might go first. Uh, I've got to try and find the comment now. Here we go. Jack Lincoln on YouTube. He said, "If you could both have one realistic signing each, who would it be and why?" So I think it's probably fair that we limit this to Championship because that's we've not watched the Polish first division. Um, let's <laughs> let's be frank about that. So it is going to be a championship player, I think, that we select here. So I'll, I'll, I've spun that on you, so I'll give you a bit of time to think. Um, I, I've kind of been thinking about this recently, actually. I've gone with, uh, and it would be a lone E, which is Kiernan Drewsby Hall, who's been at Luton and, and has um, got a lot of praise for being quite physical, in, maybe similar to Kenny McLean. I think um fairly young player that, that, that Leicester like, good season in the championship, good numbers from, from what I've seen, good um, reviews from what I've seen. Again, question mark, I guess, like we were speaking about with Gehi earlier about whether he could step up to the Premier League and be a credible option, but just someone maybe who could offer a bit of quality in, in those midfield slots, um, particularly maybe if Norwich don't get Oliver Skip back. And of course, we await what, uh, if it is Antonio Conte, then I think you, you probably suggest that's favourable for Norwich in terms of development because he's a player, he's a manager rather that likes to operate with a lot of money and, and likes to be given those assurances as well. And if he isn't, then doesn't tend to stick around too long. Uh, he wants to win trophies. So that may well suit Norwich in terms of where Tottenham are at, at the moment, but I digress. So that would be my pick, Dave, I think at, at the moment in terms of realism. Who, who would you go for? I kind of, I guess you kind of spoke about it earlier, didn't you, with Gehi, but uh, are there any others that you, you kind of add to, to that list? Yeah, similarly at Chelsea, Billy Gilmore, I think, would be a good loan signing. And he looks like someone who's probably going to be available as well. The The only thing is whether he's ready to play a, a full part. Um, Conor Gallagher was also at West Brom on loan from Chelsea this year, wasn't he? And, and did some good things. So he he maybe is is more ready than um, than Gilmore to, to, to do a job for Norwich. So, But in, term, in championship terms, I... Um, I've mentioned Dale Fry a few times at Middlesbrough, their centre-back, who I think you could probably get for in the region of 10 million. And, and I think Norwich would be sensible to spend a, a decent chunk of money on a centre-back as, as much as I... And, and we all rate Gibson and Hanley, particularly as a partnership. Uh, and we all know that Zimmerman is capable if his body holds up. Um, I, I think they need another good frontline option in there just in case one of them gets injured. And um, it, probably not just Fry. I, I would take... Dale Fry or Paddy McNair, um, the the two centre-backs that Middlesbrough play, because McNair is an interesting one in that he used to be a midfielder, used to be at Manchester United, Northern Ireland International, takes set pieces, he's their captain. I think you could get either of them for in the region of 10 million. They would be excellent additions to the squad. They're both 
solid defensively, you know, playing under Warnock, they know how to defend, certainly. And I think they would both fit in well with Gibson and, and, and Hanley. They would um, be that those sort of tough characters. They would be determined and hardworking. And if I had 10 million to go and spend on a, a centre-back from the Championship, I would quite happily have either one of them if, if it was doable. Yeah, I think Neil Warlock might have something to say about that. I've seen a lot of things saying that he's almost adopted Dale Fry as like a, a, another son. He, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's that big a fan. He um, was I, brilliant I think... against Norwich, wasn't he? In, he the, was. in the away game when Norwich got insanely lucky with that um, penalty that was disallowed for the apparent double touch that, I mean, I watched that replay dozens of times and I still could not be sure <laughs> but the referee called it and then they get their own penalty, which is a bit softer at the other end and win, didn't they? But every time they attacked that night, Dale Fry seemed to be in the way. So that always really stuck with me. That was one of the exceptional performances of, of the season, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just finally then, before we wrap up, uh, let's speak about Daniel Farker. We had the, the link, what was it, yesterday from, from Turkey saying that Fenerbahce uh, made an approach to him to um, about becoming their, their next manager. It looks like um, they're going to appoint Butch. Uh, is it Schuster now, who, who was at Real Madrid, I think, a while ago? I've probably butchered that. Um, but, that that's an interesting one, isn't it? it? Shows that maybe his work at Norwich is being recognised by some top clubs in in Europe. Fenerbahce, albeit probably not the the securest job in, in in the world in terms of security and in terms of him not getting sacked after three months, for example. But it, it's still a massive club, still a club that everyone knows around Europe. Yeah, to uh, mimic Paddy, that is a circus at Fenerbahce, isn't it? That is kind of Turkish football. It's a bit of a madhouse. So I don't see that being the sort of thing that would interest Daniel Farker. And frankly, from everything that he has said on the record publicly and that we hear from those sort of the sources that we have around the club and stuff, he isn't interested in leaving Norwich this summer. Stuart Webber came out and told us all that he's going to be signing a new contract, that Farker is going to be signing a new contract this summer and that he is still loving the project, still keen to, to kick on. What would happen if Norwich got relegated again, of course, would be a, a different issue. Whether Farker wanted another go in the championship, if those uh, offers did materialise in Germany um, next summer, then that would be um, uh, difficult to see him turning down. But that's that's for another day, isn't it? So as we stand, Fenerbahce doesn't sound like a realistic one. Farker wants the Premier League. Farker wants to prove a point with Norwich. He he and Stuart both proved a point in the championship, really, in the way that they evolved, in the way that they made the team that little bit more defensively, well, no, not a little bit more, significantly more <laughs> defensively strong um, and just tweaked the style that little bit, but maintained the sort of ethos of, of Farker ball, still played good, creative, exciting, attacking football. So I think he's got the bit between his teeth. I think he'll be fired up to get things going. I think like all the players and everyone in football who isn't involved in the Euros or, or the Cup of America this summer, he'll be very pleased to have a bit of time to have a rest because, I mean, we were speaking to Daniel six times a week, most weeks of the season, weren't we? So he was probably, I was definitely speaking to Daniel Farker more often than I was family members <laughs> for most of the uh, last sort of 18 months of the pandemic. So yeah, he'll be he'll be happy to have a little bit of time. And he missed the um, LMA awards, didn't he? he? Won the LMA Championship Award because he had to have emergency dental surgery, apparently. So hopefully he's got all that sorted, um, and he can uh, you know come back refreshed and and really ready for for the challenge because it is going to be tough. You know, tactically, I think we 
um, feel like he's probably grown to the point where he is a Premier League head coach now. But there's a lot more to it, isn't there? When you're scrapping against survival, keeping that squad happy is a challenge. He spoke before about how he likes to have quite a tight unit. And we've spoken a bit before, haven't we, about how they uh, it's only three subs in the Premier League. So you're not going to be able to have as many players involved to be able to keep as many players happy. So he's got a lot on his plate. Um, this chat that we're having right now being the starting point that they've got a seriously important recruitment window to get right to set themselves up for having a chance. Um, but no, I think um, from all that we've heard, Daniel Farker is very much just focused on Norwich. And all right, if Borussia Dortmund turn around and offer him the job, it might be different. The same as Emi Buendia, Atletico Madrid offer Norwich 40 million. It's a different ball game, isn't it? But realistically, that's not going to happen at this stage. Exactly that. Too much coffee and cake on the on the on the teeth front, I reckon. That's that's probably <laughs> yeah. that's that's probably why the, the dental surgery's been needed. Partying too hard, obviously. Uh Dave, thank you very much. I think that wraps it up nicely in terms of actually uh, all, talking all, of the pandemic. Uh, I got something in the post this morning. This is from a artist called Rebecca Primer. Pimer, who um you might recognise this. This isn't going to work very well for people listening on the audio, so I'll describe it. But this was the front cover of the programme for the Manchester United FA Cup quarterfinal last summer. So it's Carrow Road in sort of abstract colours. Uh, you can see some houses in the background with fans watching from their homes, basically. That's signifying. And then the rainbow going over Carrow Road, which represents the um, the key workers, of course, wasn't it during during the pandemic? Um, so that's that's something that I've got in the last few days, just to bring a bit of colour to the um, to the home office as we spend so much time in our in our spare rooms and stuff now. But I just thought that was quite a nice sort of poignant little uh, reminder of a strange time, which hopefully is coming to an end. <laughs> Fingers crossed, and touching every bit of wood that I have in here, I, I think <laughs> hopefully it is, it is coming to an end. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you all very much. For watching, of course, uh, this time next week we'll be we'll be getting excited for the Euros, won't we? It's um, next Friday. Next Friday it all kicks off, um, so it's uh, it's a competition I'm really looking forward to. Hang on, go on. Yeah, Turkey there we go. Eight o'clock. There you go. That's the benefit of having a wall chart. I'm off to get one. <laughs> Thank you all very much for watching. Keep it locked to pinkin.com. Any updates on Emmy Wendy's future or any transfer speculation will, of course, uh, bring you there as soon as we have it. Thanks very much for watching. Stay safe. See you soon. <laughs>